this morning, as you can see, I'm, I'm preaching sitting down. I did that last week as well. Over the last 10 years, I've probably sat to preach maybe three different times. Uh, the reason why uh, I am doing that is uh, I got um, a bad sinus infection that backed up my left ear and it is still all messed up even uh, today. And so what, what has happened is it throws off my balance. So I'm dealing with vertigo. So if I fall on stage, I want it to be the Holy Spirit, not the sinus infection, okay? So um, anyways, that's why I'm sitting. It's not my new style. I hate doing it. I get so excited, I start standing up while I'm preaching. Uh, but just so you know, I'm not trying to sit down to be cool. This is not like my new relevant style. I didn't go to a preaching camp and now I've decided to sit. I usually like to walk around like I'm being chased by killer bees, swatting them in the spirit realm. But uh, I just, I also don't want to collapse on stage. So I'm going to sit and then, and God, God is already in the process of healing me. So I'll be better by next week. But anyways, that's why. That's why. Hey, I want to share with you a message uh, today that I have entitled, Where Have All the Prophets Gone? Where Have All the Prophets Gone? Uh, I believe that it is a message for the hour that is going to stir the people of God. Uh, I also would encourage you just to put on your seatbelt for today's sermon because I'm going to be touching on, on several issues. And if there's any point in the sermon where you get offended, just hang on because by the time you leave, uh, you will be even more offended. So just hang on, <laughs> but we're going to get through this together. Uh, but, but I believe that this is a prophetic message for the hour in which we live. And how many of you know that when the Spirit of God begins to work, He will comfort those who are disturbed, but equally He will disturb those who are comfortable, okay? And so this message might, might just accomplish both by God's help. So hang with me as I share with you a prophetic sermon entitled, Where Have All the Prophets Gone? Out of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Now, starting in verse 17, the Bible says this, For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested. John the Baptist, and he had him bound and put in prison. Now, the reason he did this is because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful. It is against God's law for you to have your brother's wife. Although the story of John the Baptist is recorded in the New Testament, John is considered the last of the Old Testament prophets whose ministry was that of preparation, turning the hearts of the people, getting them ready for the arrival of the king. See, the birth of John the Baptist was actually the fulfillment of ancient prophecy. Malachi prophesied it, Isaiah prophesied it, the angel Gabriel prophesied it, and six months before the birth of Jesus, a baby boy named John was born to an old man named Zachary. Zacharias and an old woman named Elizabeth who had been barren their entire lives. See, between the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament, there had been 430 years of prophetic silence. And after four centuries, where the people of God probably assumed that Yahweh had forgotten about them. God interrupts human history in the most profound of fashions. See, a forerunner named John is born to prepare the way. And six months after him, the angels will appear to their shepherds who are watching their flocks by night and declare, fear not. 
For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. See, the Old Testament ends with a warning. The earth will be cursed unless the hearts of fathers and children are turned back towards one another. But see, the New Testament begins with a blessing. The Father has sent His Son. The Son will lay down His life. And the net result of that activity will be an entire world of lost sons and fathers, turning, daughters turning their hearts back to the Father. John will announce it. Christ will fulfill it. Humanity will receive it. And nothing will ever be the same again. See, John was a wild man. The Bible says that he was clothed in camel's hair and his food was locusts and raw honey. In fact, he was the first century's virgin, version of a vegan millennial shopping at PCC. In fact, the outfit that John wore was the same outfit that Elijah the prophet would wear in Israel because it was said of John that he would operate in the spirit, the power, and the mantle of Elijah. You need to see this. John didn't wear Elijah's clothes in hopes of obtaining Elijah's mantle. He had Elijah's mantle, so as a prophetic sign, he wore Elijah's clothes. Listen, you can dress like your favorite preacher. You can talk like your favorite Christian influencer. You can buy the same stuff, read the same book, and use the same lines, but until you got a mantle of your own, you're just an imposter in the pews. No, anointing doesn't come from proximity. It doesn't rest on your life because of style. Your life is marked by God in the wilderness when you find yourself surrounded by hardship and conflict and you've got every reason in the world to give up, but you hang on and keep fighting because maybe, just maybe for the first time in your life, your desire to change is greater than your desire to stay the same. No, revival is not an event we attend. It is a person that we become. And that person, their life is forged in the seasons that most people would rather skip over. Oh, if you're going through hell today, don't stop. If you're in the storm, have peace. If you're in the valley, keep walking. For every person that I've ever met who has been marked by God has one thing in common. They have encountered his presence in the difficult and wilderness seasons of life and refuse to give up. Now watch the context of Mark 6. King Herod has ordered John to be arrested. He has him bound and thrown into prison, all because John dared to tell the truth about Herod's sexual sin and it upset his new wife. See, Herod had stolen his brother's wife which happened to be his niece. Herod had unlawfully married her and was living in a state of perpetual sin. John, sensing the injustice of this sexual relationship, confronts Herod and his illegitimate wife and says, this is a violation of God's law. 
Herod was not a member of John's church. Herod was not one of the disciples that John baptized in the Jordan. Herod was not part of the early apostolic crew that followed in the footsteps of the Messiah. Herod was a pagan political leader who in many ways could not be further from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet because John is a prophet and operates with a prophetic mandate and responsibility, he confronts the lasciviousness of Herod and says, this is not right. Can you just imagine for a moment if John the Baptist was alive in 2023 and this story was to play out in front of us? Oh, I wonder how some of the Christian voices in popular culture, media, and magazines would respond today. It's none of John's business what Herod does in the privacy of his own home. I'm so tired of these Christian nationalists trying to impose their morality on the government. Whatever happened to the separation of church and state? And I bet John voted for Trump. Huh. Oh, great. Another Christian conservative male trying to tell women what they can do with their own bodies. Huh. See, this is why so many millennials don't go to church anymore. We're so tired of preachers like John trying to fight the culture wars. Listen to me, dummy. The culture war is a proxy for the spiritual war. Being a Christian predisposes you to conflict with popular culture because we serve another king who has another kingdom who operates by a different mandate and ultimately we are not citizens below, we are citizens above. And if you think the sexual ethic of culture is, quote, none of the church's business, you are missing out on the testimony of scripture and the witness of church history. Now, I'm not interested in rebuking every politician. We wouldn't have enough time for that even if we stayed all week. But let me be clear. The sexual heresy of our culture comes straight from the pit of hell. Sexual heresy is rebellion against the creator. It is the celebration of an ungoverned life. It is the distorting of the Imago Day. It wasn't John picking on one particular sin over the other. It was a prophetic rebuke that reminded the city God will not be mocked. He alone has the right to determine the boundaries of the human experience. See, either Christ and scripture will anchor your identity or culture and sex will become your God. Either your body will be a temple to host the presence of the holy or it will be a dumping ground to host the presence of the profane. No, this isn't about being religious. It's about recognizing that God alone has permission to dictate the parameters of my life, my sexuality, my emotions, and my identity. If we were to be honest this morning, the problem we have in the church is that we have sold people such a lowbrow gospel that when they get born again, they only get born again from the waist up. I'm glad Jesus saved my spirit. 
but I won't allow him to dictate my flesh. I've made him my savior, but I refuse to make him my Lord. I'm glad he forgave my sin, but I refuse to give him my present and my future. Now, I'm glad that he makes me feel good in a 65-minute service on a Sunday morning in a crazy church in Snohomish, Washington, but God forbid that that same one that I claim to worship holds the title deed to my identity, my sexuality, my emotions, my life. Oh, I know Paul's said in him I live and move and have my being but if I were to be honest what I want is the emotion of salvation without the dedication of crucifixion And when pastors and leaders begin to capitulate on the sexual ethic of the scriptures it is a quick road towards apostasy and irrelevance Hear me, friend, the three great ideological battles that the church must be willing to fight in the 21st century will center on, number one, the family, number two, marriage, and number three, gender. Do you know why the enemy is after the family? Because he hates reproduction. Do you know why he hates reproduction? Because he is incapable of it. The only thing that he can father is lies. He can't reproduce. He doesn't have a family of his own. But yet you collate that with the message of the gospel by which we have received the spirit of adoption, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. He has made us sons and daughters of the Most High. We are welcomed into the Father's house, seated at the Father's table in heavenly places as co-laborers and co-heirs of God in Christ Jesus. He has healed my family system. He has healed the wounds of my identity. He has made me his own. I was the prodigal who came back home. And while the Father saw me afar off, he ran towards me with a father's embrace. He put a ring on my finger, a robe on my shoulders, new sandals on my feet. He killed the fatted calf. And he said, my son who was dead is now alive. You know why the enemy hates the family? Because he doesn't have one. And the only way that he can extend his influence is by getting one generation to believe his lies and then passing it off to the next generation until they are so in bondage they don't know how to get free. Do you know why the enemy is after marriage? Because he hates covenant. And do you know why the enemy is after gender? Because he is the author of confusion. And when you allow a confused author to write your story, all you get is a confused narrative that misrepresents your true identity. And here's what I found. When the church begins to lose its prophetic edge, it lacks both the appetite and the courage to confront principalities and powers. Now hear me. A lot of churches have become nonprofit, and I don't mean that as their tax status. What I mean is where have all the prophets gone? 
We have pastored people to death and convinced our congregations that being liked by Herod is more important than being faithful to Scripture. Hear me. There was a time when prophetic voices shook kings and queens. There was a time when people like Elijah prayed that there was no rain and it did not rain. There was a time when apostles stood before rulers and authorities and were not ashamed of the gospel. And my Bible says in the book of James that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, which means that you've got a prophetic mantle that rests inside of you that causes the region to shake when you allow the truth of God to come from your mouth. See, the church in the West, hear me, is in a 1 Samuel 3 season. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare and there was no widespread revelation. Hear me, friend, we must not lose our own ability to tell the truth. Verse 19, so Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to. Because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and a holy man. I love this. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him anyways. That might be you this morning. I'm puzzled by this, but I think I like to listen to that crazy preacher. Hear me, friend. You are an otherworldly individual. When you speak, it should puzzle people around you and yet intrigue them at the same time. Oh, I don't understand your convictions. Oh, I don't agree with all your positions. Oh, it don't make sense why you got so much joy. I can't figure out how you still got peace. But when you're around, there is something so compelling about the spirit you carry that even though I know we disagree, I can't help but be moved by the things that you say. I hope your convictions are so otherworldly that they are puzzling to the culture around you. See, Herod feared John, so he protected him. Even though Herod was the very one that John was rebuking, even a wicked king could see that John was righteous and holy. Oh, why won't you live with that gal before you get married? Why won't you just party like everyone else? Look, friend, I'm not trying to be understood by a confused culture. It is not a badge of honor to be said to be healthy by a sick society. I am trying to honor God with the sacrifice of my life. It's not going to make sense why you won't eat food at the king's table. But when you get thrown into the fiery furnace, you'll be glad to have a God who meets you in the flames. Now watch, finally the opportune time came and on his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. Now when the daughter of Herodias came and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. Now the king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. Now the king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. Now just let me stop for a moment. Put on your seatbelt because here we go. Herodias manipulates her own daughter 
to dance suggestively in front of Herod so that she can have the opportunity to get John killed. Hear me clearly. Still today, there are adults who are in the business of sexualizing kids in order to advance the agenda of their own wickedness. Make no mistake. There is a spiritual war that is waging in our culture. It's in our schools. It's in arts and entertainment. And it aims to distort what God created in an attempt to sabotage the destiny of the next generation. That's why this church must build its own institutions. We must construct our own schools and universities. We must develop our own content and platforms. We are not just building a nice little church so Christians can gather on Sunday while the rest of the world goes to hell. We are building cities, societies, and ecosystems where the people of God will flourish and the nations of the earth will be healed. We were scheduled to do a young adult event last week. We booked a venue in Seattle, a coffee shop. We was going to rent it out and just have fun and network and fellowship with different young adults and worship together and had everything booked. They called us back the day later. They said, we went to your website. Because you will not affirm what we affirm, we are canceling your rental of our facility. I thought to myself, cancel away. I'm gonna build my own coffee shop. We're gonna build our own institutions. We're gonna build our own businesses. We're gonna build our own platforms. See, some folks are happy and content as long as they can check the church box on a Sunday, but could care less about who is educating their kids. Not us. I like what Bachman once said. Why are we surprised that our kids turn into Romans when we send them to Caesar to be indoctrinated? I am not playing games with people who want to celebrate Women's History Month, but don't even know how to define one. I am not placating to gender confusion because demonized politicians want us to be polite. They can go ahead and cancel us from every platform they got, but you're not going to stop the people of God. The top female athletes are men. USA Today gave the Woman of the Year award to a man. The president said the bravest women he knows are men. Oh, come on, pastor. Why don't you just talk about stuff that's in the Bible instead of political stuff? I'm glad you asked. In the beginning, God made them male and female. Like Elijah who mocked the prophets of Baal, who cut themselves in order to appease their gods. I am mocking the lie of culture that says cutting yourself can change your gender. Cutting off your penis does not make you a woman. Cutting off your breast does not make you a man. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. You were designed by an intelligent creator. The enemy is a liar and it's time to tell the truth.
there's a reason I'm preaching from Mark 6 today. I want you to see the demonic strategy of the enemy hasn't changed at all in the last 2,000 years. The same devil is up to the same old tricks. He is taunting the church. You better not address the elephant in the room. You better not talk about sensitive cultural issues. You better not talk about sexual sin. You better not talk about the war on children. It's like the devil is saying, if you dare to address this Goliath, I will cut off your head. And the church says, be my guest. They can take our head, but they're not going to steal our voice. Herod cannot have our voice. Herod cannot have the next generation. Herod cannot have our fidelity to scripture. Herod may occupy a place of political power, but our allegiance is to the high king of heaven who sits on the throne of David eternally and whose kingdom is unstoppable. Now watch. Both Herod and Jezebel attempt to kill the prophetic voices. And what both eventually realized is that with every prophet who dies, God raises up 10 more. With every church the enemy kills, God plants another 20. What the enemy attempts to destroy, God himself will rebuild and repay, which is why I am convinced a place like the Pacific Northwest is on a collision course with revival and awakening. Now watch, this is interesting. The Bible says, when this little girl danced, what it released and resulted in was the death of John the Baptist. But here is my prayer, that God would raise up a generation who when they dance, and when they sing, and when they create, and when they design, it releases an anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage. Could it be that this has always been God's original plan for creativity, that it would function as an art form that brings heaven to earth? Could it be that your talent, your skill set, your job, your vocation is actually an avenue that God can use to release resurrection life to people around you. It's the same enemy from Mark 6. It's the same demonic strategy that we read about in the pages of the New Testament. But I've got better news. The blood is still the blood. The power is still the power. The anointing is still the anointing. The church is still the church. And with the sword of, Lord, with the, sword of the Lord and with Gideon at our right hand, we will take every mountain that he has given us in this region. I am telling you, we are not retreating from darkness. We are running towards it. We are not giving up on the region. We're believing for revival in the region. We are not running from darkness. We are turning on the light to expose the deeds of wickedness and in doing so see reformation break out in the culture around us. That is who we are. And that my friend is the type of God that we serve. See when we planted this church eight years ago the Lord spoke to me and said, Russell, I am planting your church behind enemy lines. And I said, well, that sounds a lot better than it feels. But I'll tell you what, the Northwest has never needed spirit-filled churches like it needs it today. But you need to be aware of something today, friend. It's easy to talk about the sin 
and the degradation of the culture around us, it's harder to recognize the roots of degradation inside of us. Here's what I hate about compromise, especially sexual sin, is that what it does is it steals your courage to be a prophetic voice. That's what shame and condemnation does. It so weighs down your identity. It so seeks to silence your voice. It so makes you insecure about saying anything that's true that you'll end up affirming what scripture says we shouldn't. You'll end up celebrating what scripture says we can't in order to cover up the own foothold that the enemy has in your heart. And I want you to know today that what Jesus says to the woman caught in the act of adultery is what he would say to the church today. Where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you, but watch, go and sin no more. Doesn't it feel like in the church world today, we are given to one or the other of those extremes? Over here on the truth side in truth churches, it's go and sin no more. You better knock that off. God's going to strike you dead. You should be ashamed. I can't even believe you came to church today. And you know what? I've never found shame to be a great motivator for personal transformation. For the gospel is not shame on you, it is shame off you. But then on the other side, isn't there an equal temptation over here? Where are your accusers? No big deal. Live your own life. Love wins. Do whatever you'd like. That's an old book. Well, you know, in the original Greek, what it really meant is sleep with whoever you want. You know, in the original Greek, what it meant is God has no righteous standard. Now, don't worry about any of that stuff. Just where are your accusers? But isn't it true of Jesus that he was both filled with truth and with grace, but it was at the same time? Could not that be our message to the church and to the culture today? I ain't accusing you. I ain't putting shame on you, but I am letting you know that there is a holy God who calls us to a righteous standard and that God is interested in the transformation of your life for he alone holds the universe. He alone is the blueprint for your identity. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows where you're going, how you're gonna get there. And today you should trust this God with every part of who you are. See, it's the same theology that we talk about in the incarnation, the hypostatic union, that Jesus was both fully God and fully man at the same time. He wasn't 50-50, he wasn't 60-40, he wasn't 70-25. It is the mystery of the incarnation. He was fully God and yet he was fully man both at the same time. And that God is both fully grace and fully truth at the same time time. And can I tell you, we need injections of both into the church today. For every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch. And what prophetic voices do is they hold the tension together in the middle. No, I'm never going to preach shame. No, I'm never going to preach condemnation. No, I'm never going to preach you're just an ugly worm and God should strike you dead. Because number one, it's not true. And number two, it's not helpful. But I'm also just never going to say, oh, just turn a blind eye. Is grease 
greasy grace. Let's wink at scripture. God don't really care about that anyways. He just really knows your heart. No, I think we can compel people to righteousness and holiness and at the same time remind them that grace isn't a cover-up for sin. It's the empowerment under transformation and you need both operating in your life if you want to be a victorious believer. But if we allow the culture to determine the rules for the game that we're playing, we are predisposed to lose. And I told you this last week, anytime I feel like the enemy or the culture is saying, you better not talk about that issue, I go back to scripture and develop a 10 week sermon series. Because anywhere I feel the pressure to be silent is actually an invitation from God to be a prophetic voice. And my question for you today is where have all the prophets gone? I hope there's 7,000 who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. I hope there's some folks who are willing to say, I refuse to compromise with the tenets of culture. I hope there's some folks today who are willing to be disliked by Herod and his associates because we have a higher allegiance and it's to King Jesus. I hope there are some believers today who would recognize I might have some doors open in my heart through the avenue of compromise and I'm gonna give it to the Lord today and shut that door because this is the last day the enemy gets to silence my voice because of the shame of my secret addictions. I am telling you, the greatest disinfectant to sin is the glorious light and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which transforms us into his image and into his likeness. I'm not trying to pull out their speck while miss, missing the log in our own eye. For judgment doesn't start in the halls of Congress, but in the house of God. And it's easy to be angry at people who sin differently than you. But when the Holy Spirit begins to work in your own heart, you recognize I've got room to grow as well. Can I tell you, we can radically, unconditionally love people where they are at. And at the same time, pledge our fidelity and our allegiance to the words of scripture and the person of Jesus. Those two things are not mutually exclusive, they are mutually inclusive. We must marry those two realities in this hour. You know, a few weeks ago, somebody was feeling the uh, spiritual gift of criticism. <laughs> they was all upset, you know, why, why did church making merch? I see these pursuit hats everywhere. Come on, why, why is the church wasting money on merch? And why is the church on Instagram and TikTok and releasing all their videos? And just seems like a waste. Y'all should just preach the gospel and that's just what you should do. And you know, everybody's just got an idea on how you know, the church should operate, but most of them never read the pages of scripture. But the, the, the way that I responded was like this. No, I've got a mandate to redeem everything that the enemy has tainted. The enemy thinks he owns education, just wait. The enemy thinks he owns merch, creativity, arts and entertainment, just wait. The enemy thinks that he owns Hollywood and movies. The number one movie in America right now is called Jesus Revolution. Can't you see? What the enemy has intended for evil, 
God has used for good. I am telling you today, as sure as I am standing on this stage, there is a demonic assignment against your life in these three areas. Marriage, family, and gender. It is coming for you, it is coming for your children, and it is coming for your children's children. There is a reason the Apostle Paul calls the church the pillar of truth in society. No, I'm not developing a full-time rebuking ministry for every politician who ever disagrees with the pages of Scripture. That's not what God has called me to. But if we lose our prophetic ability to speak the truth in love, we have lost the only platform that matters. And I am telling you today that the enemy seeks to sow seeds of sexual compromise in our lives in order to steal the voice of the church. But I'm exposing his lie. I'm replacing it with God's truth. I'm declaring over you, God doesn't accuse you and neither do I. But go and sin no more and allow the righteousness of God to restore the boldness in your life. Let me end here. I'm not going to play the fiddle while the Titanic sinks. I'm not rearranging deck chairs after we hit the iceberg and the ship is going down. And we got people standing behind pulpits, playing patty cake with the enemy, singing little Christian karaoke songs on Sunday morning. The culture is dying. An entire generation is enslaved to demonic ideology. Parents are confused. Families are fractured. Marriages are in crisis. And we're playing patty cake with the enemy on Sunday mornings. I am telling you, the Spirit of God will comfort every disturbed thing in your life, but it's time to allow him to disturb every comfortable thing in your family. It's time to allow Jesus to start flipping some tables in the church once again, because God has commissioned us to be a prophetic voice, not just to the people who gather on Sunday morning, but to kings and queens, to governors and congressmen, to leaders and politicians, to business owners, to principalities and powers in high places, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in battle for the pulling down of strongholds. And we've got some strongholds that need to fall. This is not just another idea. This is not just about political partisanship. This is not just about being mad at Hollywood. This is not just about being irritated by the darkness. We are in a generational war for the soul of our young people. And if we don't align ourselves with the unchanging truth of scripture, we will be tossed to and fro by every wave and our yes will not be yes and our no will not be no. I don't get it right all the time, but I am telling you more now than ever before, we are pledging our allegiance to the world words of God and to the person of Jesus and from this rock I will not be moved you can cancel me you can kill me you can roast me online you can leave a nasty comment but let God be true and let every man be a liar that is who we are and that is the type of God that we serve
great shout to God in the sanctuary this morning. Awesome. Now I know I went late, but I had to get it out. So anyways, let me pray for you in closing this evening. Father, now in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray that the purifying fire of your spirit would rest on our minds, our souls, our bodies, our relationships now in Jesus' name. I'm telling you today, friend, I see it in my spirit. There's some of you sitting in this room, even as I'm praying, you are recognizing that there are doors that are open in your heart that the enemy has a foothold in. And I'm telling you, today is your day of freedom. I'm not gonna call you out. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but I'm gonna challenge you today by the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. If you will expose your addictions to the light of Christ, his healing virtue will flow through your body. So God, in Jesus' name, we close the doors on lasciviousness. We close the doors on sex outside of marriage. We close the doors on pornography. We close the doors on sexual addiction. God, I know that we need your grace. I know that we ain't perfect, but you are. I know that we need your spirit's empowering help. But God, I pray that you would raise the standard in the church, that you would raise the righteous standard amongst the people of God, and that in doing so, the way in which we live would provoke a riot in the cities that we're planted in. May we be otherworldly. May we be born from above, not below. And God, by your own spirit, would you strengthen us today from the inside out? We pray these things now in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said amen, amen. and amen. Awesome.